1: And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. This
0: is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're getting some value out of these podcasts. I really do appreciate the feedback that I'm getting from all of you out there. If you haven't done so, go to iTunes and uh, subscribe to the podcast. And if you would, leave a review. It helps with the visibility on iTunes, which is very important, and especially in these early stages and trying to get the rankings up there as we grow the audience at uh, doseofleadership.com. Again, I appreciate all the feedback that I'm getting from all you guys out there. This show is brought to you by Audible.com, my sponsor. A great resource, I, I came upon it, uh, as uh, especially as I'm trying to catch up and read with all these guests that I'm interviewing, I'm finding it difficult to catch up on all the reading and these great books that they have. Well, a lot of these books are on Audible.com, they got a got uh, over 100,000 titles to choose from, and it's a great resource to catch up on all your reading, you can download them uh, onto your iPod, your iPad. You can catch up on all your reading, you can listen to when you're driving to work. Audible.com is a great solution. You can go to my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible and download a free audio You get a free 30-day trial, no obligation to you. Again, you can go to doseofleadership.com slash audible. Go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and enjoy the interview. Well, my next guest, Richie Norton, he was named one of Hawaii's top 40 under 40 Best and Brightest Young Business Persons by the Pacific Business News at the ripe young age of 29. He's a Change Age Award winner for Outstanding Accomplishment in International Development, International Relations, Humanitarian Aid, and Academic Achievement. He's also a Lean Six Sigma Black Belt. He's a CEO of Global Consulting Circle, a boutique international business development consultancy. And uh, he's the author of a new book called The Power of Starting Something Stupid. That's How I Found Out About Him. Great book, and we'll talk about it here in the show. He's also the author of a popular e-book and audio book called Resumes Are Dead and What to Do About It. He's a highly sought-after speaker and consultant for the corporate growth and personal development industries. He shared the stage with best-selling authors of Stephen Covey, uh, the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey's son, Stephen M. R. Covey, author of The Speed of Trust, and Kevin Rollins, former CEO of Dell Computers, Richie. Thanks for coming on the show. Are you ready to give us a dose of leadership today?
2: Let's make it happen. Thanks for yeah. having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, I'm so excited. You know, and I just finished your book this morning. I'm, I read, ever since I started doing these interviews, I just read an inordinate amount of books. I love to read anyway. And I got to tell you, yeah. and, and I'm not just sucking up because you're my guest, but this is one of the best books I've read <laughs> because it speaks a lot to what I've been speaking about, especially the last couple of years. Um, particularly about courageous authenticity. And, I, and people who've listened to this podcast know that I talk about that a lot. And I think there's two elements that I think are missing in today's or this, this leadership vacuum. And it's courageous authenticity and the willingness to be vulnerable. You talk about that a lot in the book. And I know we don't need to talk about that right now. Give me a little bit, before we start diving into that, a background about yourself, fill in the gaps that I missed on the bio there. How did you get uh, started in, in uh, writing this book?
2: Yeah, good question. I've I've been working in different industries as a consultant, uh, teaching principles of leadership and also business development. And I've been able to kind of put two and two together where I see what's working in one industry and what's working in another, and put them together to create um, I don't know common common causes and common beliefs with other organizations that I that I work with. What was interesting is that I went into companies and also did research on what made people successful is that it was obvious that successful organizations and successful leaders started things. And that was apparent. What was interesting is that it wasn't that they just started anything. And a lot of times it was, they started something stupid. Not that it was inherently stupid, but people said, you know, that's a stupid idea or you're crazy or that's foolish. Um, but it was just because it was innovative and it was creative and it was outside the norm. People labeled it as such, but it turned out to be something that was actually smart. or the smartest thing that they could do. And we'll, we'll talk more about that as we go on. Uh, but I just felt like I had this book in me that I had to get out and, uh, worked on it for about six years, actually. Wow. Putting the ideas together and it was, it was a lot of work. Did a ton of research. Um, but personally, about three years into it, um, some, some crazy things happened. My, uh, my brother in law had been living on and off of us for about five years. And he actually uh, passed away in his sleep at age 21, totally unexpectedly. Yeah. And the experience just shook us to the core and made us realize that life is short, and that's not just some cliche. And we, I, I really realized that I, I I needed to share this message that that starting so-called stupid ideas um, can be your most meaningful opportunity. Well, it was interesting because a few years after that, um, we had our fourth son, and we named him Gavin after my wife's brother, Gavin, had passed away. And he brought so much joy into our lives and helped kind of fill the hole that our, you know, his uncle Gavin left. Um, but sadly, he ended up having something called pertussis or whooping cough. And 10 weeks into his uh, short life, he too ended up passing away and just, again, shook us to our very core.
0: Yeah.
2: And, and, you know, when I'm sure you've had, uh, you've known people that have, that have passed on and we just realized that life has a time limit and it's too short not to act on these ideas that press on our minds and won't go away and that we all have a message we can and we can all lead out in a way that's significant when we realize that life um, only gives us so many opportunities. So I really felt the desire to get this book out there to help people realize that life is short. Courageously lean into your stupid ideas, to live life for authenticity, and not let fear stop you from influencing the world for good.
0: Yeah, what a great—you know—it's your book opens up with those two stories you just talked about, your your brother and then your your son, and it's just I can't yeah. even imagine. And being you know the father of four daughters, and I just. How it had to, to shake you to your core, and you're right. We've all had those. We've all had those moments. Those um, moments in our life that r- remind us and shake us. And it does become a little cliche. But at the same time, when it does happen to you, it really does, you know, rock you to the center and like, wow, you're just running out of time. And and that's happened to me too. Not quite as intensely as, as what you've had to deal with. But I, especially in the last five years, I just seem like things are just going by way too fast, and I'm running out of time and the, the the paradox and what your book does so well and it calls us to action but what I'm so guilty of is sometimes it gets so overwhelming like there's so much I want to do I don't know what to do and I find myself procrastinating and I don't know and you talk about that quite a bit in, in your book too how yeah. did you and, and it spoke to me because it sounds like you're a lot like I am you know I want to write a book too. I'm in the process of writing a book and it encourages me when you said it took you six years because I'm about three years into my, my book, so I don't feel so bad now, but I know exactly, I know exactly what you mean about the, the procrastination piece. Talk to yeah. me about procrastination and why we don't, um, why don't we jump on those stupid ideas? We've all had them. I've had people tell me, well, that's a dumb idea and I believed him. Right. And I didn't do anything about it. How do you overcome that procrastination? How do you, how do you, take that leap and, and go forward with your stupid idea.
2: Okay. There's so many things that, that, that make us wait that we could talk about. Um, first of all, I think that a lot of times... Well, let me give you an example that I, that I use in the book. You know, if you've ever gone to dinner and they feed you, you know, the dinner rolls before the actual meal, um, a lot of times we'll fill up on the rolls and get so full, you know, that we don't leave room for the dinner. And uh, that's a good kind of example of how procrastination works in our lives. See, the psychologists say that procrastination, the closest tie to procrastination is actually, ironically, immediacy, meaning we're addicted to having things right now, instead of waiting for later to get them. And so what happens is when we have something important in our lives that we really want to do, like write that book, it takes so long to get it done that we actually do lesser important things first to fill up our time because we're addicted to that immediacy. <laughs> and we it's kind of like filling up on the journals. And we get those things done, and then we end up not having time to do that, that one important thing. And so I think it's important to first recognize that. And sometimes we're putting lesser important things in front of our most important things, and it helps to have a strong why behind what you're doing. So, for example, I was able to help get my book done um, in part because I realized, you know, you know, my brother passed away, my, my, my son passed away, and and I realized that my why was so big, the reason I needed to get it done was so big that it helped me overcome. That urge to do lesser important things, and to then put first things first. Um, We tell ourselves also that we don't have enough time, that we don't have enough education, that we don't have enough experience, we don't have enough money. I call out the time, education, money gap. We're always saying we need more and more and more before we can actually start. But in reality, no one ever has everything they need (laughs) to do the things they need to do. We just kind of do it, you know, piece by piece. And we start where we are with what we have and and then we find, you know, other people, if it's possible, to help fill in the gaps um, where we might be lacking. Whether that be a mentor or getting some, someone to help delegate things to or partnering, whatever it is, there's always a way. Um, so I like to say in the book, there's a few ways we can overcome procrastination. Uh, I call it the four P's, which are to make it public, make your idea public so people know what's going on, uh, make it planned so that you know what you're doing. And then make it pleasurable, meaning when you actually accomplish some of those small goals, uh, that that lead up to your bigger goal, that you reward yourself so that you get that sense of immediacy from accomplishing something. And then also make it painful, meaning say, you know, if you, if you don't accomplish those micro goals that lead up to your your bigger goal that you punish yourself somehow, meaning, let's say, if you don't get it done by 5 o'clock today, you have to give $100 to someone else or something like that. Just something that motivates you to get it done. Um, But uh, I think, for starting off, recognizing that procrastination is a problem helps, and then you can work out ways to get it done uh, if you really want to. Again, if you don't want to, you're never going to do it. (laughs) But if you desire to get it done, You'll find
0: a way. Yeah. I think for me, you know, it's not necessarily um, if I want to get it done. Sometimes it's it's almost like there's too many things I want to do. And True. for me, trying to narrow down what is it is really important, what is what is central to my character that I want to accomplish. I think one thing that's great in your book is you have that I think is great to, that can help narrow that down is what you call the, the – is it Bezos or Bezos? How do you say that? The Bezos test?
2: Yeah, yeah, Bezos.
0: Bezos. Bezos test. And and yeah. ask yourself that question, you know, will you regret it when you're 80, right?
2: Right. And,
0: and so talk, yeah. to, me, talk, so, to, me, talk so, to me about that.
2: Yeah, so Jeff Bezos, he's the founder of Amazon, and he had this wild idea back in the day to sell books online. He saw the Internet was growing, and he figured that books would be a good place for him to be. But he had a great job on Wall Street, and... He told his boss he had this idea for the cell books online, and his boss basically took him on a two-hour walk around the park trying to convince him not to do the idea. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jeff Davis knew that it was a crazy idea, and his boss said, you know, it's a good idea, just not for someone who already has a job, you know? And so Jeff uh, thought about that, and he asked himself that question that you mentioned. He asked himself, will I regret it when I'm 80? And he realized that he would regret not starting to sell, to try and sell books online, um, when he was 80. So he ended up quitting his job in the middle of the year, which is a confusing time to, to quit a job on Wall Street because you don't get your annual bonus. <laughs> and he packed up his bags and got in the car with his wife and drove from New York to Seattle to start Amazon.com in his garage. And now, you know, he's a billionaire, one of the most successful people in the world. Amazon has changed the world and it all started with this so called stupid idea and narrowing down he could have done anything. Like he narrowed it down to what was most important to him by asking him that question, himself that question. Will I regret it when I'm eighty? So that's a good way to try and narrow down things when you have so many things on your plate.
0: Yeah, because the, the great fear of, or the great um, I think the words you use in your book, the the, the quicksand temptation is if mm-hmm. you know you say you hear like I just said, I have so many things I want to do or I have so many ideas, how do I know which one to pick? Well that's in a sense that's almost kind of um a rationalization not to do anything either because it's almost like you I think yeah. you said par- paralysis by analysis to kind of cliche there, right? I mean there's so many things. Right. Um so you just gotta pick one. How do you how do you pick you know I guess that that's where it goes into what we were talking about the courageous authenticity. You gotta know who you are, be authentic to who you are and that's going to help you decide you should pick things that are, are central to your core character,
2: right? Right. So you can narrow, even when you ask yourself, well, i regret 80. You might narrow down your different ideas to 10 or 3. Or, you know, there's always more you can do. And so then it comes back to, yeah, your authentic core on what, uh, what will fulfill you the most. you got to understand what is my goal at the end of the day? Is it to make money? And if it is, how fast do you need it? You know, do you need it immediately or is it something you're building up towards down the line? Something you can do on the side? Um, or are you trying to do something that's fun and something that fulfills you? Is it just, you know, a, a project that you're trying to get done um, that's important to you? So when you know what that, or, or is it both? Maybe it's a project important to you and you need to make money. So you, you kind of look at your project and say, hey, I have three projects and based on what my, my end is at the end of the day, Whatever my, my goal is, you can say, it's to make money, if I need it now, which of these four or five things will do that for me? If it's um, to just be some do something that's a legacy goal, a legacy project that's gonna be important to me, which one is that? And so you you gotta think about what you want at the end of the day to help you narrow down what you're gonna do today.
0: Yeah. The other thing I love about it too, well, and you, and you mentioned it here, That, that was it the time, the education, the money gap? Is that right? Those are the three big yeah. excuses that we use? Yes. Going back to the time piece, you know, and I guess I've, I've so guilty of this myself, especially, you know, coming from, like I just told you, I've had so many ideas. Which one do I pick? Okay, I've narrowed it down. I still find myself saying, I just don't have enough time. Mm-hmm. Tell, you know, Talk about what your book says and how you feel about that. If someone says that, I don't have enough
2: time. <laughs> well, I went and I was pitching a, a business plan to a, a venture capitalist, and I went to his office and he was my plan and and you know everything was fine. But what was interesting was a side conversation we had as I came into the building. Another man left and it was a well-known philanthropist. And so I asked the venture capitalist, who was that philanthropist and why was he here? And he said, oh, it's so-and-so, and I knew who he was. Uh, He said, he wanted my time. And he said, time is easy, money's hard. Let me flip that. (laughs) That's not what he said. He said, he wanted my time. He said, money's easy. Yeah, money's easy,
0: (laughs) time is hard. Yeah.
2: Sorry time is hard because he had money, but he didn't have time. And so often, we think that um, I don't have time. What we're really saying is, I but I will have time later when I have more money or more whatever, or less of something else. Um, but that's a myth. Yeah. Because for him, he, he had all the money in the world, but he had no time. And so what's interesting is we think that in the future we're going to have more time because our circumstances are going to change. What, what we don't realize is that we're going to have to navigate a whole set of new circumstances in the future that might make time actually more difficult. And if you think about it from a literal standpoint, the longer we wait, the less time we have to live. So literally, we, we do have less time in the future when we wait. So it would be important to try and simplify, and and in our lives carve out the time for those most important projects because we all have the same amount of time. It's just about how we spend it. So it's, it's a conscious thing. i would be mindful about how we're using our time. Yeah,
0: I think I like what you said, and it's true. I mean, it's it's a it's a brutal, hard fact that, um, you know. The longer you wait, the shorter time that you're going to have. You don't look at it in that perspective. You just think, "Well, I'll just I'll have time eventually." Well, it's a fallacy. Yeah. You're you're running out of time. You know, you're never yeah. going to be. You know, the time is to you're ready. You're as ready today as as you're ever going to be, as, if you can look at it in that way, right? I mean, you have to right. look at the moment now. I get it. Kind of goes into like you talk about the beginning of the book of that myth. I think all of us have kind of bought into is that we're all. And you even see it on you know the financial. Uh, commercials on TV, you know, you do what you're supposed to do, that kind of standard stock thing up for that retirement Mm. and then, Mm -hmm. but the reality is it never really turns out like we expected it to or you never know what's going to happen. I mean mean, I've had relatives, I've known people that they worked all their lives they had all that retirement, you know, and then they died the next day or they came up with a terminal illness and wiped out all their savings.
2: Exactly.
0: But I guess you're not saying that you should go with your hair on fire either, right? I mean you have to, I mean...
2: No, I I did. I was president of a financial services company, and I interviewed hundreds of people who were in the twilight of their lives, either in retirement or post-retirement, and many would tell me that they waited their entire lives to do something that was important to them, only to realize when they got there that a spouse had passed away, or they were unhealthy, or they didn't have the money they thought they'd have, and they wish they would have started earlier. And what's interesting is... Is that some of the people who are successful in retirement are the ones who started something earlier who didn't wait and they build on top of those those small successes. So it's not necessarily you don't like you said you don't want to run out with your hair on fire. Saving money for the future is good, but saving your dreams for the future is bad.
0: Yeah, I
2: like that. It's, you know it's okay to defer taxes. It's not okay to defer your dreams. Yeah, But people end up confusing those two and putting them together. They're like, oh, I'm saving for retirement, so that means my dreams are going to happen in retirement. Well, the two and two don't have to go together like that. You should live a healthy and happy and awesome retirement, but that doesn't mean to sacrifice your life now for it. <laughs> uh, there are ways that you can live a happy and successful life um, now and not have to wait till later. And that doesn't mean you go into debt, it doesn't mean any of those things. Right. But it means you start small. I, I say you start with your stupid project, I call it in the book, where you actually, um, you don't have to mortgage your home, you don't have to put your job, which Jeff Davis did, you start small. If you, if you want to sell something, you don't need to sell a million of them, just try selling one and see how it goes from beginning to end. And from one you can sell two, and from two you can sell ten, and then you can build up from there whatever your dream is start small and build up incrementally and uh, you'll learn if you like it or not you'll learn how it works so you experiment and if it's successful you move forward and if it's not successful you move on or you learn from that experience and change it up a little bit
0: yeah you know and, and to go through that and to get to that point of what we talked about courageous authenticity you know understanding who you are starting small, You know, doing something. A lot of it is overcoming fear. At some point, I mean, you know, to to have or to be authentic or to to be what I call courageously authentic, you have to exhibit courage in every aspect of your life. And I think that's one thing. If you're if you aspire to something, if you aspire to something great or whatever your dreams are, there's going to be fear involved, right? I think that's what people. I think people always are trying to eliminate fear, but you do a great job in the book of saying, "Look, you're going to have to deal with it," right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. To be authentic, I, I, I believe you have to overcome three things: fear, pride, and procrastination. I really believe that fear, pride, and procrastination are like it's almost like living inside of an egg, and you can't get out. Yeah. And you you push on the wall of the egg, you push on the wall of the egg. But if you're constantly in fear, your prideful not the, not the happy kind of pride where you're excited for your team or for your family or your school, but it's the kind of pride where you're pride, no procrastination, what could you get done? Right? Yeah. You could get done. Anything.
0: So, that's right.
2: Yeah. And so I say in the book to crush fear. And that literally means to crush it. When you crush something, it doesn't make it disappear. The fear is always going to be there. But you break it down into smaller, more manageable parts and you take care of each part one at a time until you can overcome that fear. Um, and it's a similar way with pride. You 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 stop from thinking that every that you're better than everyone else, or you stop blaming others for your circumstances, and you humbly become teachable, and you look for ways that you can improve yourself and improve the world around you, and you move forward. And then with with procrastination, you just realize that what you're doing is so important that it can't wait, and you just do it. And then the magic happens where you can be authentic. You know, you don't have that egg shell around you, and you can be free, and you can be all that is you, and literally change the world, both, you know, personally, professionally, and influence the lives of others for good.
0: Well, and that's really the definition of courage. When I talk about courage, I, you know, I believed long ago that, well, I can't be courageous. Look, they're fearless. Well, that's the exact opposite courage is the the exact definition of fear is the presence or the exact definition of courage is the, is the presence of fear. Yeah. Being courageous is being afraid, being scared out of your mind, but doing it anyway. Right. And I think you have a quote from, I think it was Bill Cosby, I think in your book where it says, Mm -hmm. you know, something to the effect I'm paraphrasing. um, What does he say? Decide that you want it more than, than, than you're afraid of it or something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's it so true, right? And I think that everybody, when you look at it that way, that courage is a choice. It's not something that oh, it's a fearless act, and it's not they're they're not necessarily or courage, courageous decisions aren't necessarily life and death decisions. They're not you know storming up the hill or or you right. know landing a airplane on the Hudson without any engines. You know, I mean, yeah. those are all courageous <laughs> acts, but it's equally courageous to like you did, write a book and put it out there for the whole world mm-hmm. to see and, and to be criticized for, you know, and yeah. that takes courage. Exactly, It takes courage to create a painting and put it out in front of everybody so somebody can criticize it, you know. But that, yeah. I think, you know, little acts, it, it, you know, that's to me what courage is. And that's what I love about, like you said, you're right. So to be authentic, you know, you got to, what were they again, C- you know, um, state them again, how uh-huh. you get to the, or the oh. the fear oh, fear. Pride and procrastination. Yeah, pride, procrastination.
2: Yeah, fear, pride, procrastination. Yeah. And, and then you can be authentic. Yeah.
0: The pride piece, yeah. again, you hit it again, but I just wanted to make sure it's clear. Like, you know, you can be proud of your kids, you can be proud of certain clubs, but you're talking about the boastful pride that, that, you know, that everybody falls, you know, pride cometh before the fall type thing, right? I mean, those are the things that.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a destructive nature of pride, which is like. You're too you're too prideful to risk, you know, appearing stupid. You you won't try something new. You have this sense of entitlement that you're better than others, or you blame other people for your lack of success. It's it's that scarcity mentality that that for me to succeed, other people have to fail. You know, and the opposite of pride is obviously humility, where you're able to take uh, risks and you're okay to maybe look stupid in the in the meantime because you're working on living your dreams. You don't blame other people for your lack of success. You, you take 100% ownership for your life. You have an abundance mentality where you, you know that others will succeed um, and you can succeed too. It's just that, it's just one big pie and um, you don't have less because other someone else is successful. This, this is, we can all be successful and and move forward.
0: Yeah, and I think the key, like you said in your book, is this, you have to become, and I think this is what's so essential to true, genuine leadership is: is if you defeat pride, if you if you become just completely vulnerable. I think there's this myth of this perception that if you want to be a great leader, you have to be this larger than life. You know, I can do no wrong. Mm. And quite the opposite happens when you when you open yourself up to be vulnerable. I mean, only good, and from my experience, only good things happen when you do that. Um, right, and you talk about that in your book about defeating pride. Yeah, it's a great book, Richie. I think you know you've you really hit it on the head. I mean, it was it's one of my um, going to be one of my books that I reference often. I mean, the other one that I do that I, that I have up there on my shelf is, um, and I think yeah, you even talk about it in your book as uh, Jim Collins' Good to Great. And that chapter on on level five leadership is my absolute one of my absolute favorite chapters on leadership and uh, you hit some of those elements in your book well, so I'm a huge fan of this book, so well job, my friend, or good job, my friend.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much. It it really does mean a lot uh, to hear that it resonated with you and and that it was helpful. Um, I put a lot of work into it, but I just try to teach principles, you know, principles that people can use in different parts of their life. I think that when you're teaching these uh, principles... I talk about it in the book that when you talk about the Latin root principle is principium or or source, and then also princeps, which means which means first or chief. So principles are your first source to go to. And I think that when it comes to leadership, when you teach about these principles, like I did it's about, but when we fear, or pride, or procrastination, these aren't things that I, that I made up.
0: No, it's
2: just things that, it's just things that leaders use and do or don't do. Right to be successful and yeah. so you know just trying to put stories out there to help people remember that
0: yeah you hit it on the head and I've, and I've talked to listeners of the show have heard me say this before you're exactly right I mean the, the principles you didn't invent them and I said I come from the Marine Corps they didn't invent them the principles right. just exist they've existed since the dawn of man they're just they're there for us to discover and uh, like you said it's just and with all these books that come out about leadership and motivation, and everything else, it's just a different way to put a different lens on something that's already timeless. And, and that's one thing that you've, you've done yeah. really well with this book. And I appreciate it. And I appreciate the fact, you know, opening up. I think it's great. You know, again, showing your vulnerability, showing your your humbleness there, talking about your brother and your son that died. I mean, what a you know. Yeah. A, a, thank you for sharing that with us and, and putting that as part of your book.
2: So, well, you're welcome, and thank you again so much, man. I really appreciate it. So
0: what's next? How can people find you? I mean, you've got a great web. I love the look of your, your blog and your website. To work- is it just richienorton.com or org? I can't remember the exact. Where can they find you?
2: Yeah, yeah, Richynorton.com, R-I-C-H-I-E, norton.com. And you can find information about me. I'm open. You're welcome to email me, whoever's listening, and ask questions. Um, and you can find my book on amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and uh, check your local bookstore; they can order it for you if it's not there. Um, but uh, love, love to to learn more and interact with your listeners as
0: well. Yep. And I'll put on when I put the post up, I'll have links to all that, to all your website, to the book, everything. So uh, anything cool. else, Richie, you want me to link to, I will. But uh, thanks for coming on the sure. show, and uh, we'll, yeah. I, we'll we'll uh, we'll touch base again soon. You're so welcome. Thank you
2: very much. All okay. right. Thanks, Richie.
1: Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.